0: Super Talk mississippi media production
1: coleman taylor transmission servicing central mississippi for over 60 years their ase certified technicians offer dependable transmission services a warranty and record services call coleman taylor today for all your transmission needs i'm steve azar and i'm on the other side of the microphone meaning i'm asking the questions this time and oh have mercy for the airwaves i spent 20 years in music city wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river, moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute, that's right. Been looking forward to today's interview as I've had some time co writing with this man. Best way I can describe him, if we were on Gilligan's Island, he would be the professor, and I, in turn, probably Gilligan. <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> where brilliance meets academic soul, one of country music and Americana's most renowned songwriters, recording artists, producers, and his latest assault on art, an audiobook version of his book of short fiction, and a screenplay that I can't wait to hear about. Welcome to In a Mississippi Minute, my brother, Radney Foster. Foster. Radney,
2: how you doing, brother? It's good to hear your voice,
1: man. <laughs> See, I absorb things when we were writing. Uh, I absorb, <laughs> knowing that uh, I'm not as smart as you, uh, uh, and uh, and I'm not, and I learned so I much. <laughs> no, no, I know. I, I really, it's been so long. And, and the great thing about this show is I, I get to catch up with old friends and and uh, feel like That's time awesome. is not gone. Where are you right now? Uh,
2: I'm in Nashville. I'm at home. You know, I'm trying to juggle all the things that you just mentioned. Uh, We're still on tour, and uh, and we'll be through the. uh, You you know, as Jason Isabel put it the other day, (laughs) I I saw in a tweet. He said it's because he had a new album out. He said it's funny how the media says that. You know he's out on tour in support of his new record rather than he's out on tour in support of his family. Right. <laughs> I mean,
1: hey, just, Randy, I don't think I've ever left tour. <laughs> I, just,
2: I, 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 I don't know the last time I did either. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I, love um, I, you know, the, the royalty structures are so different these days that, right. um, I, I, I actually, you know, talk to guys who, um, Many, many years ago, after I left Arista Records, after I left a major label, I, you know, started an independent career and said, you know, and they said, Radney, I mean, I had just had a number two record on, on, uh, anyone else by, uh, um, Colin Ray. Right. That, that I'd written a hundred percent and was making a bunch of money. And I just, I had all these cuts and things were just really rocking and, there were so many songwriters who were going, Why are you even bothering with that? Why don't you just stay in Nashville and just write songs? And I said, Well, I really like being an artist. And I, and I just think, you know, I, I don't know that you just never know how this is all going to work out. And there, uh, you know, I ran into somebody who would give me that advice. Way back then, he goes, you were so right, because you never quit touring, and now all of us are touring.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. you know it, what? You told me something one time, and probably was the reason that I went off and left Universal. When I did my own thing, uh, I go tour. I make the records exactly like I want, and people end up recording some of those songs. And especially now, it's almost like you were forecasting what was in front of us without ever knowing what we were about to go through. We're not figuring it out today, but, but I do want to... Let's jump into Let's start. I want to okay. know where, because I've never had this conversation with you, uh, about where it started for you. I know you were born in Texas. Uh, Del Rio, I think you told me.
2: Del uh, Rio, Texas. Right, okay. Little, T- little tiny town on the, on the Mexican border. My, my, my house was a mile from Mexico growing
1: wow. up. Wow, okay, so take me. Take me growing up, and when did the whole music bug bite? Did you know really, really young, and once you knew, did it just grab a hold of you?
2: You know, I didn't really know. Uh, the music bug was always there. My dad was a lawyer, and my mom was a school teacher, and, you know, we all sang in church. But my dad played guitar, um, uh, not great, but he loved to sing and play, you know, on, on any Saturday night worth remembering. You know, somebody brought the barbecue, somebody brought the potato salad, somebody brought the beer, and everybody mm-hmm. brought an instrument and played on the back porch. And uh, and they didn't care if it was, you know, a Bill Monroe bluegrass song or uh, a, you know, a Fats Waller blues song, you know, or uh, you know a Broadway show tune or that new Peter Paul and Mary song, "Puff the Magic Dragon." I mean, it did. It just didn't matter to them what it was if it was cool and it and it only had three or four chords, then they would figure it out and and. You know go around in a circle playing music and that was entertainment and so naturally i picked up my dad's guitar and started playing and you know and i was in a few bands in high school and i played in church in high school and and uh then in college but uh, to me that was always you know real people didn't go do that right. for a living right you know you might dream of doing that but that's not something that you know you know I was expected to go to college, go to law school and come home and take over the family business. Right. And uh but my junior year in college a guy came up after we had a band that was I had several different bands, but one of them was sort of a nitty gritty dirt band type deal, you know, we 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 would take a country song and rock it up and we would take a a, a rock song and country it up and and everybody sang in the band, you know, harmonies and 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 this guy came up after the, the gig, and he, he was kind of lit, and he said, what band does those three songs? He said, I know all the rest. He said, that was a Guy Clark song, and that was a, you know, a uh, nitty-gritty dirt band song, and that was a Pure Prairie League song, and that's a Merle Haggard song. He said, but what band does those three songs? Because I don't know those three songs. I want to get the record. And, you know, my guitar player laughed and said, you can't go get them because our singer wrote them. And wow. the guy said, "You know, I don't know Jack Squad about the music business, but I got a buddy who's a big time record producer in Nashville." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, sure."
1: Right. And I
2: wrote my number. <laughs> okay, I wrote the, my number on and my name in a in a matchbook, you know, like we used to do, yeah. like an empty matchbook. And of course, the number was the payphone at the end of the hall in my dorm. Room, Come on, you know, and so. Sure enough, two weeks later, I get this note tacked to my, you know, front door, and it said Call Brown Bannister, and it had a 615 area code, and I thought, that name sounds familiar, that name sounds familiar, and then I went, that's that guy who, I just saw a write-up in Rolling Stone about him, who produced this brand new ingenue, who was taking the gospel world by storm, named Amy Grant. Yeah. And sure enough, I called Brown, and he said, man, my buddy says you're really good, and I uh, got a chance to play him four or five songs, and he said, you need to have a serious talk with your mom and daddy
1: about doing this for 11. Wow, I got a little, chilled up a little bit, I love it. That's how I got in the music business. Wow, you know what, isn't it funny? I mean, you know, you're a junior in college, so at this point, do you graduate?
2: Uh, I I convinced my parents to let me take a year off of college.
1: You ought to be ashamed.
2: Uh, Well, it's worse than that. (laughs) I got to, I was supposed to be in school a week later. I mean, you know, it's already time for registration. And I'm hemming and on around about, you know, going back from my last year. And I finally woke my mother and daddy up in the middle of the night, said, Mom and daddy got something heavy on my heart. and need to talk to you about and And my mother said, Oh, good Lord, what is it now? And I said, I think God wants me to drop out of college so I can be a singer and a songwriter. And my daddy sat both upright in bed and wiped the sleep out of his eyes. I, I thoroughly believe that's the time in my life that I absolutely had his 100% undivided <laughs> attention was right then and there. And he said, son, he said, I've known God a long, long time. And he said, I don't believe you want any son of mine to drop out of college to be a singer and songwriter. You heard wrong. You, you heard know, wrong. <laughs> you heard wrong. And, and he but they cut a deal, and he said, son, you need to learn a term called a sabbatical. And uh, so they let me go to Nashville for a year. And if nothing happened, I was going to have to go back. Of course, I thought I would be the next Elvis time I was 21. Yeah, But, but I ended up, you know, happened to nothing happened in that first year. And I went back, and uh, other than I had one, I, at the end of that year, I had one publisher who wouldn't throw me out of his office. You know,
1: yeah, I know what that, that feels was a like. In
2: the door, <laughs> yeah, the foot in the door, and I went back and finished my last year at Swanee, which was just up the road from Nashville. So, you know, about every other Friday, I would i be able to convince Pat Higdon, yeah, uh, who's a great, great publisher still to this day, uh, to let me bring a new song into his office, and he'd listen to it and shoot the breeze for twenty minutes, and and. Then you know, tell me to go write another one because there's nothing
1: he could do with that one. So, in that, in that, we you know what those are? Those that's what I called hope. <laughs> you, you know, because oh, they it really, yeah. they don't shut the door on you all the way, and they leave this little uh, uh, you know this little crack. <laughs> you know, like that's it's right. like a hairline crack, and you we thought it was the biggest.
2: I thought, yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. They opened the barn door, and I was going to run I love it.
1: But well, we're, we're with the great Radney Foster. Uh, we're going to get all this figured out. You're in the Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Stand by. It's got
2: to get dark enough
1: for you to see the stars.
0: Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Supertalk Mississippi. When you're
1: young, you think you know it all. Yeah, you hide right cocky, and you stand there like a man and say, "They ain't nothing strong enough to stop me." I'm Steve Azar. We are with uh, just uh, when it comes to art, it's all-encompassing. Uh, what a singer-songwriter! What a story! What a life! What a soul! And Radney Foster. All right, Radney, we 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 got through college. You got your degree. The all your credits transferred. You graduated from uh, from Swanee. I know that was probably another whole story. We'll get to that later. You you make it national. You're done now. You're game set match. You're full time now. Do we have a bar job? Or are we? What are we doing? Oh, while, I had
2: lots of them. I had I had uh, I worked. Um, you know, I waited table. It was easy and quick money. I learned to be a bartender and uh just so even though i you know i was working at restaurants that were really popular you know first was tgi fridays and then there was a brand new restaurant called dalts that was you know really on fire and and you couldn't get the bartender jobs in there because i mean those guys were making serious bank but if you learned the the you know if if you went to they had a little bar, internal bartender school. And if you could actually pour, then but what would happen is those bartenders, there'd be private parties and stuff. And you. so I did a lot of that kind of stuff and odd jobs. I, my, I was a camp counselor uh, for a couple different summers with youth camps. Actually, that got me into, uh, got me at my foot in the door in the music world. One of the kids who was a, you know, a camper, little girl c- told her dad, there's this guy who's a, counselor at our at ch- at church camp this summer and he's really good that you know you know, Randy is thinking, you know, my thirteen year old got a crush on some college boy. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm not paying any to that. Well the church that was one of the big sponsors for this camp that I worked at uh, was in Nashville and I was, you know, struggling and work and they said, Hey, Will you come do a Sunday and come sing in church? Promote, you know, registering kids for camp and that whole kind of thing. And you know, and I said, oh yeah, sure. I, I do yeah,
1: so it's in your I blood did, already. I, it's an easy gig, right?
2: Right. You know, it's like so. Have I, you know, so I I come and I sing a couple songs in church, and there's this guy who walks up to me afterwards, and he says, "You don't know me, but my name is Randy Goodrum." <laughs> and I go, "Well, I know who you are." <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> he's, uh, for those of you out there who don't know Randy Goodrum, he wrote a little song called You Needed Me for Ann Murray. Right. And he wrote, Somebody's going to give you a listen and leave, and somebody's going to give you it. back what you've been given, and I hope that I'm around.
1: You yeah, know, that You know,
2: hit it. twice, yeah. uh, number one record twice. Right. Uh, he, he wrote, uh, I mean, it's just a string of them. I mean, just tons of hit songs. And so, I mean, I met him, and he helped me, and he actually called, you know, he would would trade out uh, my my then fiance and I, who became my first wife, we would babysit for his girls and then in exchange for him doing acoustic demos of my songs in his basement for me, and uh so uh, you know it, it, the, that's Nashville. That's the oddities of being in Nashville.
1: Well, you got to be around it. It's funny, no, no, so I love it. You've gone from Texas to a half-lit guy in a bar. To right. to to a thirteen year old girl at camp, and right. th- those are your entries, and you know that get you there. I, I just think that's right. just as bizarre and normal as it is.
2: Right. Exactly, <laughs> and that is, you know. And then my, my favorite story about you know odd jobs is that one of them was I was a, a van driver for a movie production company that that was that were making a movie and they were filming for six weeks. In Nashville, and I thought, well, that sounds like a whole, whole lot more fun. Working on a movie sounds like more fun, and it pays really good um, than waiting and tables. You know, I kind of quit my wait and table, one of my wait and tables jobs, and and worked on this thing. And mostly, I was hauling around, you know, cameras and gear. And I said, okay. And so, in the movie, unbeknownst to me, Willie Nelson had a brief cameo. They had a one day shoot, so I just I get this call. It said, you know, go pick up these two guys at the <laughs> opryland hotel and i go and uh you know i pull into the portico and i've got the name of the movie company in the van and all of a sudden you know out walks willie nelson and his famous or, or infamous road manager pootie Locke.
1: yeah I and
2: so they told me if i talked to the talent they would fire me because i picked up some pretty cool actors
1: good time to me. get fired yeah,
2: I thought the 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 gig's over in two weeks. I Man, what are they going to do? I, I'm going to fire me. I'm, I'm going to jump to Willie. Nelson, you know, so I told Willie that you know we had a mutual friend in Austin, which we did, and Ray Benson because I'd known him. I'd gotten to meet him and know him. You know, Willie asked me a couple of questions. He, he was very very nice, and I was it was very brief. And and then as he was getting out, I said, Hey, Willie, do you got any advice for a young? Singer-songwriter from Texas, trying to figure this thing out. He said, "Yes, I do." He said, "I'm going to tell you the advice that they told me when I first moved to town." And I thought, "Okay, here I'm going to get it. This is the, <laughs> you know, this is uh, this a is a going to be how you diamond. figure it out, <laughs> right?" And he says, "The first hundred songs don't count." And I'd written about forty or fifty songs by that time, and I thought I was a hot shot because of that, you know. And I went, "Wow, I really got an ethic." After that, I got a work ethic that was like, I'm going to write a song a week. And sure enough, I did, uh, instead of, you know, a song a month or two songs a month, you know, in a good month. And, you know, I thought I was doing really, really well because I was writing 15, 20 songs a year. Right. You know.
1: Which and, is what the contract stated, right? You got a whole song. Well, I,
2: I didn't yeah. even have one of those. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, you know thought, okay, I'm going to write a song a week, good, bad, or ugly. I'm going to write a song a week. And, and by golly! About the time I hit another sixty, seventy songs, I was over a hundred songs. I got a contract with Mary Tyler Moore, you know, wow. and as a staff songwriter, and and that really was, you know, Willie. That was just his way of saying, take this really seriously. You
1: know? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I on. love it. And he's wise. We're talking to the great Rodney Foster. I am am uh, enjoying every second of this because these are things that we're all learning together that I didn't have the time to ask, or the guts at the time. I, we were all tired. We were just, I was coming off the road, I think Radney was, we got together. Oh, I yeah. think you and I wrote You Don't Know a Thing when you were producing a band. You were running in to produce the Roger Randy Rogers band. Randy Rogers period. band. And then you'd run that into was. me. I mean, I felt like, you know, right. I felt like I was being, you know, I felt like I was cheap. But anyway, you know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. You were able to multitask that and be so creative and I even remember an emotional time when you were talking about your son, when you tried to keep him in America when he was two. Oh yeah. And I remember you breaking down in that 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 bridge, and you don't know a thing. Every time, you know, Randy, I play that every show, and every time oh, I think right. about you telling me that story, it's always in me. I feel like I lived it, you know. And just it hurts mm-hmm. to have kids and know what you went through. And uh, we're not going to get into all that. We're going to let everybody just wonder exactly what happened. But the bottom line is, imagine trying to keep your Child in America, not less in your hometown. When things don't work out, oh yeah, that's another whole thing. So we're talking to radney Foster. radney let's do it. You're working. You're working for Mary Tyler Moore. How long does it take you uh to to get your first real cut?
2: First real cut. It took a year because my first real cut was with the winner of the True Value Hardware Battle of the Bands contest.
1: <laughs> yeah, and
2: uh, which we would, I mean, Bill Lloyd and I had written it. We thought, well, that's you know whatever. You know,
1: Foster and and Lloyd. I love it.
2: And and we wrote a song called Since I Found You. And that little group ended up getting signed to Sony Records. And they were supposed to just do a 45. But Sony liked it so much, liked them so much. And it was Sweethearts of the Rodeo. And that was their first top ten single. So that took off. Uh, there was a girl who nobody was paying attention to, except over at Mary T- Tyler Moore. They thought she could really sing and could really could maybe and maybe get a record deal. And she and I wrote my second cut, which was "Love Someone Like Me" that New Grass Revival did. And then it wasn't a hit single for them. And when she did her first album, she said, "I'm gonna put that on my record," and she did, and it ended up becoming a number one record for her. And then Bill and I wrote "Crazy over You" during that time, which oh, got cut by Ricky Van Shelton mm-hmm. and was an album cut. And when we got our contract, when we got signed to RCA Records about a year and a half in to that writers' contract with Mary Tyler Moore, you know, we went and cut "Crazy over You," and you know, RCA, Decided we're putting that out first as the first single because we're scared that Ricky Van Shelton's going to put it out as a hear about this. Right. And put it out as a single. And and they wouldn't even let us talk about what we were cutting with anybody. (laughs) You know? And they snuck that thing out really fast. You know? And I mean, I literally think we recorded it. We recorded it, mixed it, and mastered it. And, you know, three months later, um, it was on the radio.
1: That's incredible. We're talking. We're having a meeting of the minds, actually. Uh, One really great mind and one Mississippi mind, which I love my Mississippi mind. We're in a Mississippi minute. Radney, we're going to take a break. But before you get to play DJ, Mississippi is the birthplace of American music. I hope that when you grew up in Texas, that's what I'm talking about. I love that. All right. So you want to hear a little Ike Turner or Jimmy Buffett? We got to do that. Turner. Ike Turner. That was a quick, quick answer. From the mind of Radney Foster, you guys stay tuned. You're in Mississippi Minute. on by.
2: Step in my rocket and don't be late, baby. We're pulling out about half past eight. Going around the corner and get a bill everybody. in my car's going to take a little Move on out, oozing and cruising along.
0: Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Just call me lonesome. I'm Steve Azar. We're with Radney Foster. We're talking Foster Lloyd now which you guys were sort of a writing duo, right, for a while, and mm-hmm. then Arista comes along, Tim Dubois. It's got to be, right? Because it was Alan well, Jackson. Actually, it was
2: RCA. We were on RCA. Oh, I didn't that know that. Lasted about, yeah, we were on RCA, and that lasted about four or five years. Um, okay. And then we ended up – everything started being a crazy storm that ended up uh, – Joe Galante left RCA for about five years and went and ran the New York office. Right. And that kinda of put a kink in the in the works. And then, you know, there was nobody there who was really our champion. Yeah. And and uh Tim Dubois had been our manager and he left to start Aris Direct. See, I did not know?
1: know he was managing. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, and then this is where this is where you go solo. Am I right?
2: This is where I went solo. Come like, on, I'm right. So I love it. All right. Bill and I um, part ways amicably but we both knew it's like this just you know there was talk of us going to New York and doing a a, a pop record and I was like uh uh-uh, uh that's not going to work for me hmm. and uh so I I go and uh I get signed to Arista by, uh, with Tim because of Tim which was funny because I mean I he he came I just asked him to come to a showcase um hoping something might happen at the Bluebird Cafe. And I'd written all these songs uh, in a year that, that, uh, that I went spent on the road, opening for Mary Chapin Carpenter and for Vince Gill. Just me and my guitar. I'd ride the bus with him. Love it. He offered me a record deal in the kitchen of the Bluebird Cafe right then and there. And he said, you're going to have a lot of offers. He said, there's a lot of people here. And I said, really? And said, "Well, by the next day, I had four offers.
1: Bluebird Kitchen is bigger than the Bluebird itself. I'm just just kind of being facetious, but, yeah, but hey, wait a minute, Randy, Randy, wait. So I got a, a question here. Why do you have to play for your former manager, who knows how great you are? I mean, I'm thinking I've already I've done that. Uh, you know, in the wee hours of the night when nobody knows, I've got the contract signed and nobody gets a shot. Just FYI. Right.
2: Well, <laughs> but, I, I think the thing was he was worried. You know. He said, you know, I love what you do, but I'm looking for something that's more country than what you do. Right. And I said, well, don't, don't say that till you heard the music. And, you know, he heard, he, I, I believe, I hadn't written Nobody Wins yet, and I hadn't, no, I had written Nobody Wins, but I hadn't written Just Call Me Lonesome" yet. But I played uh, Nobody Wins, uh, Louisiana Blue, Mm-hmm. Uh, closing time and <laughs> oh you know about half that first record and he so was like good. yep that's yeah i'm signing that guy right there right now
1: oh that man guy. what oh my god what great songs just call me lonesome heartbreaking then yeah. song <laughs> oh my goodness it just just and nobody wins slamming doors oh yeah hearts get so, broken and then love.
2: that you know that went through i, I kind of went through the same thing you know um i You know, I had a that record did really, really well, and then there was a change in the management of. People don't realize how often that really can make a difference in someone who sits on the margins, who sits on the more edgier sides of of what's going on, which I've always kind of done. But the radio promotion guy. Went to Sony, and and then a new guy came in, and he was like, "Radney Foster's hard to get played," and you know, and so that really. And then I went through all the personal trauma of, you know, my son going overseas, and my first marriage didn't work out, and I mean, it. You know, I went through a lot of years in there where I was under everybody else's radar, and whether I was on a major level or whether I was on my doing my own thing, you know, I was touring in a van right. with a band or. With me and my guitar, gutting it out, and then getting cuts by other artists over and over again, and and that was you know that was my career, or it has been my career ever since, really. You know, I, I tell everybody, look, like, I've got you know my my fans are like the Marines; they're the few, the proud, and the brave. You right.
1: Oh no, 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 no! You've got a lot. You know what, Randy? You know what? You you know here's the bottom line, and we've learned this: no matter what, pain. Pain produces the good stuff. And as much as I hate to say it, you know, you grow up, you think about the people you grew up around and listened to. And the people I grew up down in the Mississippi Delta, these great blues artists, you know, uh, Eugene Powell and Sam Chapman and the list goes on and on. But the bottom line is they were in total pain and they were bringing it. I mean, to be able to, to be able to, you got to live it. You got to go through it. And then you gotta, then then it comes out on its own time. If you really let it come out on its own time, it's amazing how much better it is. But we're talking to the great Rodney Foster, and I'm shutting up right now because I'm really, really digging this. And I know you went through that time coming out. Obviously, Cindy was uh, your wife was a big lift in your spirits, right? Absolutely,
2: absolutely. And you know. uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, the records that, that really always have become the seminal ones, and, and you can let that psychology really mess with your head, but uh, I, you know, after my son left and I had remarried and was, you know, trying to just figure out what to write about, what to do, I wrote a, I wrote a record called See What You Want to See, and it had a cult following it, it, you know, the record label got shut down halfway through uh, hmm. that record coming out, and and it but it produced you know songs that became so many hits for so many others the song godspeed for the dixie chicks um raining on sunday and i'm in both uh top five singles for keith urban you know i and i think you know more than half of the songs on that record have been cut by somebody or another um I just love so, I mean, I know that adversity, and I, and that's how, you know, I have this new project that's out. I and mean, we talked about the audio book that's just finishing yeah, up.
1: Yeah, I want to talk but, about but this. But not this new project of,
2: of, I wrote a book of short fiction, a book of short stories, and an album. And so there's a short story to go with each song on the record. But that happened because I completely lost my voice. I got pneumonia so bad I couldn't. Oh, wow. Um, I could not sing or speak for six weeks, and then I had to go through six weeks of vocal therapy. Right, and that's a kind of a cra- That's an existential crisis for a guy like me. Oh, no, I know, I know. And uh, you know, so here's what happened. I, 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 you know, I can't sing, and and it wasn't like I could. They said just shut up for six weeks, and you're going to be fine. Yeah. Every week I would have to go back to Vanderbilt Voice Clinic, and they'd say, "Nope, you can't talk for another week." And so week three, I'm freaked out. Yeah, this has never gone this long or happened to me before. So I write down uh, on a piece of paper to Cindy, my wife, and I said, I think there's a short story in a song that I wrote about six months ago. And I'm going to write that short story to keep from going just to keep from going crazy. Right. She didn't answer me. (laughs) She picked up the pen out of my hand and wrote down. You should because you're driving me crazy.
1: Oh, my God. Look, Real quick. I got to jump real quick and say this. I had throat surgery. I had a cyst on my throat. I went through a little longer, a lot longer, and I had a bell. And let me tell you what—that uh-huh. bell didn't work out with Gwen at all. In fact, <laughs> my daughter came up one time, get bitch. She, she go, "What? Why can't you get up and walk?" You know, and and the funny thing was, the minute I had surgery, she went to Chicago with her with her mom and sisters, and now I know why. She was just sick of me. <laughs> like, like, oh my god. So anyway, I mean, get up, you. Baby and get a, anyway. So, keep so right. I understand what you went through or what Cindy went right. through.
2: <laughs> oh, god, yeah, absolutely. So, but you know, then you know, uh, my wife was a, um, you know, a really famous journalist in the music right. business, and uh, and so handing her and a magazine editor, and you know, so handing her something that was you know on the written page rather than a song, you know, scared the hell out of me, and so. And uh, she read it, and she said, "You know, babe, this is really good, and you need to think about continuing to write this way, mm. even once you get your voice back." And we didn't have any idea what would, you know, happen with any of it. And then uh, I wrote three or four more, and 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 about the time I wrote that fourth one, you know, two of them had been inspired by songs, and then two I had just written the the short story on its own, and then but that. That, that fourth one, I thought, hey, I think it could make, uh, there's a song in the, and so then a light bulb went on, hmm. and I and I thought, I could do a project where my next album, each song has a short story to go with it. I ran into this uh, amazing, it's a long story, but I ran into this amazing uh, author in her own right, and uh, she kind of coached me through rewriting a couple of I took me under her wing and coached me through rewriting a couple of the stories. And when I got the second one rewritten, she said, okay, here's what you don't know. My publisher said if I ever found anything that I wanted to publish, they would fund my imprint. And I would <laughs> like, she said, I'll call 10 other publishers for <laughs> you. She said, but I would like to offer you um, to be the first book on my brand new imprint. Work wow. Horn." And I said, and she had worked a lot as a publicist in the, in the, in the book business, in the and lots of business, NFL business too. But uh, she'd worked as a publicist in the book business for a long, long time, and so she knew how to promote books. Right. And I said, you're smart, you're independent like we are. You're, that's going to make you. You're small, just like we are. You're going to be able to be flexible in the marketplace. When all of a sudden I say, hey, I got a gig in Charlotte. And we get me in a book. Absolutely, we can get me in. A what way, a you know, cool! This is so, so
1: cool. So really when you go great. Go play part a show. You're doing. You've got, but it all adds up to one thing. Radney Foster, who we're talking to, right. everybody. But I love this because you're getting to use it all now. I love it. Oh yeah. Well, we're, we're with the great Radney Foster. You're in the Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Stand by. You're my.
0: If Alexa's part of your life, you've got one more way to access Super Talk. Super Talk Mississippi is now available on Amazon Alexa devices. Once enabled, just say, Alexa, play Super Talk Mississippi at any time and start listening. It's that easy. Just one more way to stay informed and connected with your state. Learn more at supertalk.fm slash Alexa. Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Now available on Amazon Alexa devices. In a Mississippi minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: You say the same over yet. I'm Steve Azar. We're with Rodney Foster. Inspiration I to I me has found you. It's found you at every, every turn, every crossroad, like I said before, but it's found you and you've let it in. And uh, that to me is the magic of Radney Foster, the magic of your journey, man. And I just think that you've been so blessed and so kissed, oh, but gotcha. at the same time, you've gone through it and you've taken adversity, like you said earlier, the word adversity, and you've, you've turned it into art that moved you. And I love that about you because it's always been about you and about, am, am I happy with this? You know, country came around to you uh, when it came mm. around. You didn't come around, to, you didn't go around the country, it came around to you. And I just think that that's, I just think that that's, the. I, I just think that you sort of, you're undefined. You can't put you in a box, you can't put you in a genre, you can't put you, and I just think that you're on just the greatest artistic path uh that i've seen in a long time I'm, I'm so excited about this as you can tell i'm jumping up and down in my white mm-hmm. chair right now with my headphones on <laughs> and my studio and look a lot of the what, the studio here in mississippi looks a lot of like the studio that you remember in my house before oh, i moved sure. to my franklin house and there's guitars all over the wall i'm trying to see if i, I any mean, yeah there's the guitar you played on uh the lead on you don't know a thing and all that so, but anyway <laughs> I, i'm feeling at home but i, I want to say that because i mean it and uh you're so special i just Man, you just you just you need to tell Cindy to look at you and not give you a pen and paper. You need to say, "Look, I'm special." Steve said I was. I'm superlative, <laughs> triple X superlative. Okay, so Randy, so how are we going to be able to get the audio book? How are we going to tell me what we do?
2: Well, it'll be available on uh, in time for Christmas on uh, in the next. Uh, we're probably going to put up pre-orders. The best way is we're going to have pre-orders up in the next couple weeks on radneyfoster.com. Okay. And uh, and you'll be able to buy the audiobook if uh, if you are an Audible fan, it will be available on Audible. Um, the the other is is that, you know, uh, Christmas is around is just around the corner. That's right. Uh, and uh, you know, the book and uh, and CD are bo- both available as uh, you know, as stocking stuffers, make really good stocking stuffers, and and uh, you know the, the they all come autographed. You know, I autograph everything that comes off of our website. Love it, but it'll be available at all the other sorts of outlets, right? That uh, that you can. Uh, we are in negotiation. I don't know if this is going to work out. We're just learning about this. There's sort of a, a an audio book exchange program through. Uh, through Cracker Barrel, of all places, that's uh-huh. where, uh, you know, because people travel who like like audiobooks... Oh, yeah. Um, ...travel, and, you know, you get... Uh, you're on a long road trip, and you listen to a book for, you know, three days while you're on your road trip, and then, you know, you can you can leave that at your next Cracker Barrel and pick something else back up.
1: Okay, and come on. like so so you're checking it, you can check it in and check it out, or you have Checking it?
2: it out of the library.
1: Come on. Kind
2: of thing, the library of Cracker Barrel. I mean, there's a, huh. Yeah, there's a small fee for it, but I mean, it's a real <laughs> sharp deal, and Cracker Barrel buys, you know, audiobooks for that kind of thing. So They've library. always
1: been ahead of the game, okay. and they have certain things. They yeah, put music in that there really that sharp. was cool. Yeah, and,
2: uh, um, so uh, there's that, and, and I am... Uh, You know, in addition to that, Cindy and I, there is a short story called Isabel in the book, and Cindy and I are just completing a a screenplay based on that short story, Hmm. and uh, we are going to be going to, uh, we have a a game plan, and several people who are excited about this and helping us out in Hollywood and and you know that we're going to be out there pitching that this winter
1: it's so. like the leaves from the branch from the trees here come the leaves and then we're going to bear fruit you're, t- you're using uh-huh. you're using all the tree I love
2: it <laughs> every bit I can <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it you've done it you've accomplished uh, surviving a Mississippi minute with me and uh, <laughs> I love it. we've been with the great Radney Foster go to Radney you've been in a Mississippi minute Later. I'm Steve Azar, in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.